So uh, I just want you to do one quick exercise uh, right now. So if you can picture in your head 2020, all the highs and the lows, think about all that happened to you, think about all that happened to the people around you, and I want you to answer this one simple question. Is God good? Is God good? No, we are living in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Everything is confusing. Everything is chaotic. A lot of people lost their jobs. People are taking pay cuts. You know, a lot of our plans have changed. A lot of our freshmen in college, they can't even go on campus to study. They've been dreaming for this, this campus life, and what they're doing right now is they're staying at home in front of their computer. Uh, and so a lot has changed. There's a lot of confusion in this year. And the question is, in the midst of all this, is God good? Is he good? And I think this is a very important question because we are in the season of Thanksgiving, right? Because it feels like to me a lot of times we are programmed and we are conditioned in a way to manipulate goodness and, and Thanksgiving within us. That we know from the bottom of our hearts that you know, the right answer to say is that God is good. But really, do you believe that in your everyday life? I think a quick way to examine your heart is by looking at the way that you pray. Prayer reveals how much you believe in God's goodness. So that's why I want us to look at Luke uh, chapter 11. It'll be helpful if you have your Bibles open uh, throughout the sermon. But listen to what Jesus says um, in Luke chapter 11. Actually, before that, the disciples, they come to Jesus and they bring a very important question. They say in verse 1, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is so important because you never see the disciples bring this type of request. I mean, they never ask Jesus, how can we preach uh, or how can we teach? They never ask Jesus, Jesus, uh, how do we evangelize? Or how do we uh, cast out demons? Or how do we heal people? You never see that in the Bible. But it says in verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So something about Jesus you know, was so special, especially about his prayer life, right? After he just finished praying, his disciples saw that. And he knows that all the public ministry, all the miracles that Jesus is doing, it seems like it's being driven by this private prayer life. And so he asked a very important question, Jesus, how should we pray? And so Jesus, in verse 2, he starts to respond. He says, this is what you need to say when you pray. Now, this is not this, some sort of magical formula when it comes to prayer. It's not like you have to uh, recite these words uh, exactly over and over again um, in, a, in, a, in, in a specific way, but it's really a template for our prayer life. Jesus is explaining these are the different prayers that you can pray pray, and this is how you ought to pray. So let's look, starting from verse 2, it says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and in Matthew's gospel, he adds an extra sentence, your will be done, and then verse 3, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is in debt to us, and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus Receiving this question, this request from his disciples, he kind of gives this condensed version of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And he says, 
this is what you ought to pray about. So we see the content of our prayer. However, Jesus takes it to another level. He begins to explain not just what we ought to pray, but how we ought to pray and why we ought to pray. So those are the two things I want us to see in today's text, okay? How should we pray and why should we pray? Now, Jesus often teaches um, in the form of parables, what parables are. It's simply these small stories that Jesus speaks along his teaching. The word parable um, simply comes from the Greek, where it's a compound word. Para means uh, alongside. Bola means to throw. So it simply means to throw alongside your teaching. So Jesus is giving this illustration, this story, to prove a point about prayer. And look at verse 5. Look at what he says. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, to make sense of what's going on, we have to understand some stuff about first century Judea. In Jesus' day, we know that people did not have vehicles to travel. Rather, they traveled by foot. They didn't have nice hiking shoes or didn't have good hydro flasks to keep their water cool. So it was really hard for them to travel uh, in the heat of the day, right? The sun was scorching hot. So what most people did was they traveled either in the evening or late at night. I mean, if you tried walking in the middle of a hot summer day, you know why you would do that. And so people, they traveled at night, and obviously there's some risk involved because it's night, it's dark, you don't know what to expect. And travelers often, they would get tired, they would get weary, uh, they would get exhausted, and they would get hungry. So what they normally would do is they would go to a village, or they would go to um, a town, and in most towns, they didn't have hotels, they didn't have inns, only some of the major cities have had those. So what they would do is they would knock on doors. They would literally go up to houses uh, that they don't know who lives inside, but they would knock on doors and ask if they could open their house so they can stay for a night. Now, if this happened in America, if someone knocks on your door late at night, at midnight, it says, the first thing that we would do is, okay, let's dial 911. Let's have our phones ready. Or if you're, you're pretty you know, ready for these type of situations, you would think, okay, where's my gun? That's the first thing that you would think about. You want to make sure that no one strange is knocking at your door. But the norm for people in the first century was, okay, if someone knocks, I open that door. Because most likely it's a traveler. Uh, most likely someone's in desperate need. That's why they're knocking at my door at midnight. Hospitality was a big part of their culture. That's what you have to understand. Right, so uh, they know that it's dangerous to leave someone outside late at night, especially if they're traveling um, by themselves. So if someone knocks on your door, what you do is you welcome them in. You bring them inside of your house. In fact, if you don't do this and it's known to the village, then in a way you are kind of um, you, you're, you're, you're hurting your reputation because you'll be known as that guy who has, has no compassion, who has no regards for people who are in need. So hospitality is a big deal in the first century. And that's why this story makes sense. So here's what's going on in today's text. Okay, there's this guy. Someone knocks on his door late at night. So he hears that knock. Most likely he's thinking, okay, 
man, I'm, I'm just about to fall asleep, or maybe he was asleep, and, you know, but still, I'm going to be a good person, a good citizen. Maybe it's a traveler who needs help. And when he opens the door, by the way, it says that this is late, it's midnight, he notices that it's not just a random stranger, but it's one of his good buddies. It's a friend that, he, 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 that, that came from out of town who lives in a different city, maybe someone who lives in New York City for us, right? And he came all the way, he walked all that distance just to see me. And so you can imagine how, how, how excited you would be. You can imagine how, how, how you would embrace this person, that you would want to catch up with this person. Keep in mind, they didn't have ways to communicate uh, directly, so it's not like this friend uh, who came at midnight that they can send a text or send an email or give a phone call saying that, hey, I'm going to be a couple minutes late or a couple hours late, uh, get ready. This, this guy had no idea that his friend was going to show up at his door. So, of course, he has nothing to eat. Um, back in the days, people normally, they baked bread every single day because it was hard to keep bread, and so they would either, yeah, they would, they would bake bread quite often and, and eat fresh bread every single day. So it was late at night, and of course, there's no bread left in the house. And it's not like they have McDonald's drive through where they can go for a late-night snack, right? It's not like they have Taco Bell, which would be awesome. Uh, it's not like they have Safeway, which is open 24-7, and they can go and buy a loaf of bread. It says that this man had nothing to offer. He didn't have a single loaf of bread. So this man has a friend in need. That's kind of the context of this story. And so he's trying to think what he could do. He doesn't want to be a bad host. He knows that this guy just came all the way, walked hours and hours just to see him. And so he has two options. He can either be a bad friend and have him starve, or he can go to someone else. And then he realizes that he has another friend. Okay, I have this friend in need, but just a couple houses down the street, I have a friend who can meet this need. I have a friend who I know for sure has enough bread. I mean, they always have enough bread. He, maybe that friend was rich. Maybe that friend, you know, liked baking for some reason. But it seems like this guy is confident that he can go and knock on his friend's door at midnight and get some bread for his other friend who just traveled this long distance. And Jesus says, this is a midnight friend. Now let's stop, and I want you to think really quickly. Do you have a midnight friend? Do you have someone that you can call up at midnight and they're not going to ignore your text or ignore your call, but they're going to answer right away. They're going to be concerned for you and they're going to be like, hey, what's going on? Do you have someone that you can call when your car breaks down late at night and you're stuck in the middle of the highway? Do you have someone to call and you know for sure they're going to come just in a matter of minutes? Do you have someone that you can uh, trust your kids with? that you have something going on, an emergency, and you have, need to have someone who can watch over your kids late at night. Maybe, you know, your wife is giving labor. And so we are thinking about all these kind of emergency situations, and everyone needs a midnight friend. And the more important question would be, are you a midnight friend to someone else? But this guy in the story has a midnight friend. He has someone that he can count on. He knows that this guy is going to come through. No, he knows that uh, this guy has enough uh, to supply his needs, and he knows that he's not going to turn him away. So despite being very late, despite the timing being midnight, he goes over to his friend, 
friend's house, this friend at midnight. And notice what happens next. This guy probably was thinking, hey, you know, I'm just going to go see my buddy, and for sure he's going to give me what I need to feed my other friend who came this long distance. But notice what it says in verse 6. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. This is what he, the guy says to his midnight friend in verse 7. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, that wasn't the response that this guy was expecting, right? I mean, he was counting on this midnight friend, yet what the midnight friend does is he says, shh, hey, 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 quiet down. Hey, my, my kids, they're sleeping. And as a parent, I kind of understand because, you know, when you work so hard to put your kids to sleep, you know, the last thing you want someone to do is disturb their sleep, right? Uh, and so I kind of feel for this guy, but at the same time, he, he's saying, hey, don't bother me. It's not like he's saying this in a polite way. He's not saying, oh, man, I'm sorry, but now is not a good time. And, you know, he hears that this guy is in desperate need. But notice what he says next. He says, I cannot get up and give you anything. I can't do it. He's saying that I can't even go and, and open the door for you and, and grab three loaves of bread. Now, keep in mind, uh, the, what, what's mentioned here, the loaves of bread, it's not the big loaves that we think that we get, get from the grocery store. Uh, it's these small loaves of bread that's about the size of a rock that you can hold in your hand. That's why in Matthew 4, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, Satan says to Jesus, hey, here's some stones, change it into bread. Because the size is about the same. And so, yeah, the timing is kind of awkward. It, the timing is not the best timing. However, the request is not that big. This guy is simply asking for three loaves of bread, enough to feed a, a grown man uh, for a meal. And so here we see that, in a sense, this guy went to his midnight friend and he got unfriended. He got rejected, right? And that's the kind of end of their friendship, I guess. But no, it's not. Because Jesus says, in, um, Jesus says this, he says in, in the next verse that, um, in verse 8, I tell you, though, he, the grumpy guy on the inside, will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So what's going on in this story? Remember, Jesus is teaching about prayer, and he shares this strange story about this midnight friend. Someone goes to his midnight friend, gets rejected, and Jesus says, this is the picture of prayer, right? Jesus says, this guy, he keeps banging on the door. He's so desperate. He knows that he can't leave his friend who traveled from far away. He can't have him starve or, or, you know, he's hungry. So this guy, what he does is he keeps asking, hey, hey, do you have some loaves of bread? Hey, can you open the door? He keeps asking and asking and asking. And at the end of the day, this guy, he opens the door, not because this guy is his friend, but because he's, because he's so annoyed at the guy. So he gives what he needs. And Jesus says, I tell you in verse 8, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And he connects this to prayer. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. So here is what Jesus is trying to get at. Uh, I think when Jesus is talking about prayer and how to pray, he's simply saying that we need boldness, that we don't need to be ashamed when we do pray, but we need to be bold and persistent. That word impudence in verse 8, that's not a word that we normally use. That's actually only found here in the New Testament. But it means to be bold. It means to have no shame whatsoever. It means that you come um, without any regard, almost aggressively, because you're so desperate. And Jesus says, this is the picture of prayer. I want you to pray boldly, without, without shame. I want you to pray aggressively, just like this guy. Jesus is telling us today, along with his disciples, that we need to pray with boldness and also persistence because you notice that it wasn't just a one-time deal that he asked a favor, but he kept asking and asking and asking. Now, if you look at the Gospels, there's 35 parables that Jesus mentions, 35 stories, kingdom stories that Jesus shares. Only two are about prayer. One we find here, the other one is in Luke chapter 18. And both have the same message, the same theme. In fact, the one in Luke 18 is the one about this widow who goes to this unrighteous judge. And it's the same thing. Although the judge is unrighteous, if you keep asking, the judge is going to grant the widow's favor. And so you kind of see this picture of prayer. What Jesus mentioned about prayer in his parables is pretty simple. Be aggressive. Be bold. Keep asking. Don't be ashamed. And if you do so, God is going to grant your request. So here's the application that I want to give you today. Now, if you want something from God, just keep banging on his door. That, that's it. Just keep banging on his door. And eventually, he's going to open the door. Not because he has a relationship with you, but because he's so bothered by you. Because he's so annoyed by you. Not because he loves you. Because he's just bothered to death. That's the picture of prayer. Well, if I concluded that, like that, you, you would say, well, that doesn't sound right, <laughs> right? Uh, well, but it sure seems like through this story, that's the application that we make. Do you see the dilemma in the story? Because we see that this is an analogy for prayer. And we kind of connect the dots. We see that the guy who goes to this midnight friend is like us. The act of knocking on someone's door at midnight is like prayer because we do that out of need. But does that make the jerk God? That's the question. Is God good? Now, to answer this question, you have to see the rest of the passage. Now, first one, for the, uh, the, and, and what's surrounding this parable, first of all, right before this parable, what did Jesus say? He said, hey, pray, give us your daily bread. And then he talks about a guy who needs bread and who doesn't get bread at first, but eventually he gets bread. So is Jesus somehow kind of messed up, saying that, okay, go ask for bread, but when you do ask initially, you're not going to get bread until you beg for bread, and that's when God reluctantly is going to give you bread? Is that the picture he's trying to give? And then you come to verse 11, and this is what he says. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, will him uh, will give him a scorpion. So this is the idea that Jesus is trying to say. A fish and an egg is something that you would commonly see as a meal in the first century. 
It's something that people ate every single day, right? This common items. And it says that a father knows how to give these common things to um, his child. A serpent and a scorpion are things that are dangerous. They are poisonous. And those are things that you would want to avoid. These are things that normally a father would not give to his child. Now, I'm not a perfect father. I know I have my flaws. I know I'm so sinful. Uh, I, I, I feel that every single day. But even as a father who's not perfect, I know when Timothy asks for milk, my son, when he asks for milk, I don't give him bleach, right? <laughs> that, even, even for fun, I don't do that, right? <laughs> Maybe something else. Maybe soap water, but, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. But I, I, of course I'm going to give him milk. I mean, if he asks for, like, a Lamborghini, I'll be like, no way. But if he's asking for milk, of course, I'll give it to him. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is this. Even... And, and, and look at verse 13. It says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I think this verse is the key to unlocking this entire story. That phrase, how much more. If you have a pen or if you want to highlight that, please do so because that is the key phrase that you have to understand. If sinful, fa- sinful fathers, imperfect fathers know how to good, give, give good gifts, what Jesus is saying is, God, who is your heavenly father, who is good, how much more would he give you? If sinful people know how to good, good, give good gifts, gifts, a good father, a good God knows how to give the perfect gift for you. That's what he's saying. And that's when we realize that that parable is not a parable of comparison. Rather, it's a parable of contrast. God is the opposite of that jerk who doesn't open the door at midnight. God is the true midnight friend. That's what Jesus is trying to point out. It's not like he's saying that God is exactly like this midnight friend that you see in the story. He's saying that, no, God is nothing like this friend. The friend at midnight in our parable says, go away. God says, come in. The friend at midnight says, uh, my children are asleep. No, they're more important to me than you. God says, well, I'm going to give my own child to die for you. The friend at midnight says, hey, don't bother me. Don't wake me. God says, I control everything. I run the universe. Yet, come to me with your needs. I want to listen to you. The friend at midnight says, I'm inside and you're out. God says, well, if you're out, let me go out to you. He is the true friend at midnight. God is. And that's why we can pray with boldness and persistence. Because even if this unworthy, you know, messed up friend, if even if he can give what this person needs in this story, because simply because this person asks boldly, without a shame, persistently, then the question is, how much more would God answer your prayers if you come to him in time of need? How much more will he know how to meet your needs and answer your prayers? That's the picture that we get today. So I said in the beginning, this parable is about how we pray. And it's also about why we pray. So here's the main idea of today's story. We can pray with boldness and persistence because of God's goodness. 
We can pray with boldness and persistence because of God's goodness. Notice in verse 7, it ends with, uh, it ends with a question mark at the end. So Jesus, he's asking a question while telling this parable. He's saying, which of you have this type of friend? And he explains this type of friend. And Jesus, and, and as Jesus is speaking this parable, the people who are listening to this parable are probably thinking, I don't, no, none of us have this type of midnight friend. No, if, if this midnight friend acted in such a way, this person would not be my midnight friend, right? And, and so Jesus is asking the question, and yet Jesus is pointing to this reality. He's saying, then why do you treat God like this? Why do you treat God as if he is this grumpy old man? who has everything that you ever wanted and needed, and yet he's unwilling to give it to you unless you bang on his door hard enough. That's what he's saying. If you don't have a midnight friend like that, why do you think God will be like that, who is the true midnight friend? Now, there's only two questions that we have to answer um, because thinking about what we just said, there's two questions that we need to ask. The first one is this. Well, we see that ask and you will f- uh, and ask and you will receive, you know, find and you will uh, search and you will find. I mean, that's all great and that's all good. But maybe you might be thinking right now, Pastor James, I tried that before. I mean, I tried praying in a desperate situation. And you know, the response was silence. Or God didn't give me what I wanted. Now, God never really answered my prayers. And so how can I believe that God is good if he's not going to answer my prayers in the way that I prayed those prayers. The second question is this. Um, in Matthew 6, Jesus records kind of the same saying. Uh, I mean, Matthew, Matthew records the same saying, but slightly in a different way. Matthew six eleven says this. If you then, who are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So notice at the end, Matthew says, how much more would your heavenly father give good things? In Luke, it says, how much more would your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to you? And every time I think about this, I'm like, I kind of like Matthew's version better. (laughs) I want to neglect Luke's version. I want to stick with Matthew's version because good things sound a lot more pleasing and better than the Holy Spirit. And so the second question I want to ask about this text is, why? Does Jesus mention about the Holy Spirit that seems so random and out of place? So if God doesn't answer our prayers, can he truly be good? And why does he mention the Holy Spirit? Now, first question. Why are there so many unanswered prayers if God is good? And the answer is, we don't know. That's the honest answer. That God is God and we're not God. We don't fully understand why Sometimes he's silent, why sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers, and why sometimes he does answer our prayers. But maybe this might be helpful to you. It was helpful to me because um, one of my seminary professors, he asked me, he asked our class this question. He said this, if you had the ability to get every prayer that you pray answered by God, what would you pray? What are some things that you pray immediately? No, God, give me a good life, new car, new house, no, a spouse, Um, children, what would you ask for if every single word that you speak to God comes true? If you have that ability, you know what I would do? I'll pray according to my will. 
I would ask everything that seems good in my mind and in my heart. And you know what the end result would be? A world that's filled with my will. And when I think about that, that's kind of scary. Because if this world is filled with the will of fallen human beings, how messed up would that world be? When we pray to God, we have to understand that sometimes it's okay for our prayers to not be answered because that's a sign that God is in control because that's a sign that maybe God's will is better than your will. Maybe God's thought is better than your thought. Maybe God's plan is better than your plan. And so when you realize that, you're like, okay, it's hard to swallow, but I'm okay with it. Because God, at the end of the day, he is good and he is sovereign. He's in control. I mean, why would I want to believe in a God who gives me everything I wish and doesn't tell me what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil for me? I wouldn't want that. So in a way, you have to understand that unanswered prayers speaks to the reality that God knows best. Unanswered prayers speaks to the reality that God knows best best. When you begin to pray and there's some unanswered prayers, yet you pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's when change takes place in your life. Because when that happens, what happens is it's no longer your will that's being accomplished, but God's will is being accomplished in your life. Which brings us to the second question. Then what's up with the Holy Spirit? And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. Although all these prayers not be, might, might not be answered in the way that you, like, you would like, they're going to be answered eventually, every single one of them. How? Through the Holy Spirit. You know, God can give us many good gifts. You know, he, it's not like he doesn't have enough money to give everyone money. It's not like he doesn't have enough life to give everyone life. It's not like he doesn't have enough health to give everyone health. He has all that. But the best thing that he can give to you and to me is himself. That's what he's saying. If a wicked, fallen, imperfect, sinful father knows how to give gifts, God says, how much more would a good God know how to give the perfect gift? And what is that perfect gift? The Holy Spirit who is himself. Now we look for counseling, but God gives us the counselor. Now we look for wisdom, God gives us the spirit of wisdom. We look for solutions to, to, to somehow figure out our loneliness, our depressions, and all our issues, and God says, I am with you. So here's how God answers every single prayer that's prayed. Sometimes God answers our prayers by changing us. Sometimes he answers our prayers by changing things around us. Sometimes he answers our prayers by not doing anything. Every single time, when you go to God in prayer in such a way with boldness, with no shame, with persistence, every time, I can tell you that you'll have more of God. You'll have more of God. And the question is, is that good enough? Does that excite you? And if it doesn't, could it be that when you think about God, first thing that comes to your mind is not the word good. Because if God says, I'm going to give you more of me every single time you come to me, 
Maybe things are not going to be answered in the way that you expect, but every time in your highs and your lows, in your, in, in your struggles, you're going to be reminded that I am with you. I'm going to give you more of my Holy Spirit so that you can be uh, empowered in your own life to walk more closely with me and like, the, and like Christ. The question is, is that good enough? If not, that reveals that we don't believe in the goodness of God. If God is good, the best gift that he can give us is himself. So we can pray with boldness, with persistence, not being ashamed, knowing that he is our father, knowing that he is good, and knowing that he's going to answer every single one of our prayers. Maybe not in the way that we like it to be answered, but in the way that's helpful and beneficial and uplifting and, 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 and constructive for us. And that's why we pray. And that's why we are thankful. Now, as we are thinking about Thanksgiving, a lot, even if I think about this upcoming Thanksgiving, it's, it's kind of depressing, right? We can't travel. We can't have the feast that we normally have. I mean, uh, the gobble-gobble thing was so awesome last year, so I was looking forward to that. You know, I miss having potlucks and, and amazing food with amazing people. I miss all of that. But the question is, when all those things are not there, and it's simply you and God, and you're reflecting back um, to the past year. Is that good enough? Is God enough for you to be thankful? Because the Bible tells us today that it is. That he's a good midnight friend. That he's not the one who turns you down, but he's the one who invites you in. Let's pray.